Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 7. Today is the third Sunday in our season of Advent this year. And as we've been talking about, it's known as Gaudete Sunday. And that's Latin for rejoice. In this otherwise penitential and subdued season of Advent, the season of repentance and anticipation, one Sunday breaks the mold as we rejoice at the news of our coming Savior. And it's why we light the, the rose or pink colored candle on our Advent wreath. It's why our intro at Psalm and, and many of our readings today are telling us to rejoice. It's why we spend this time on joy and gladness. In a way, this one day, Gaudete Sunday, it stands out from the rest of Advent. One could even say that this Sunday offends the other days of Advent. Now, I use that word purposefully because it's a word Jesus himself uses today. In speaking to John the Baptist, he says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And the word in Greek there literally means to scandalize. To shock someone's sense of propriety. To go precisely against one's expectations. And, and Jesus is telling John not to be offended for a reason. But to understand what that reason is, we need to remember John's situation. Why he might be offended by Jesus in the first place. If you recall... It was the angel Gabriel who came to John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and told them that they were going to have a son, even though they were well past the normal childbearing years. And, and so John's birth was a miracle, and it was from God. It was because John was going to hold this special place in God's salvation story. John was the messenger prophesied, John was that messenger we heard from last week's Old Testament reading from Malachi, the messenger who was going to prepare the way of the Lord. And that's exactly what John did. John was the voice crying out in the wilderness. He preached God's word. He was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And, and John didn't bend his teaching to fit the people of his day, to suit the various groups he was talking to. That would be like a reed shaken by the wind. He didn't attract people with splendid, soft clothing or living a life of luxury. No, John lived a simple yet profound life, preaching to all the people, preparing them for a Savior. And he called everyone to repent of their sins, showing no partiality. And that showing no partiality is what landed John in trouble. Because when Herod the king was committing all of his evil deeds, including taking his brother's wife as his own, John wasn't about to keep silent just because he was king. He spoke God's word to Herod. John rebuked his sins. And so 
Herod had John imprisoned, where eventually John would suffer an embarrassing and shameful death. This once fiery preacher, whom some had even wondered whether or not he might be the Christ, of whom Jesus himself said, among those born of women there are none greater than John. John was now brought low. He was rotting in prison and just waiting to die. And the world scoffed. And his own disciples began to wonder. And John himself began to question, what kind of Messiah would allow this in my life? Do things have to be this way? Couldn't they be different? Or is this all I have to look forward to? And that's why John sends two disciples to Jesus when he begins to hear the reports about Jesus and asks him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? John himself had been telling the people that with the coming of Christ, there would be judgment and fire and power. But how could that be as he was sitting in prison at the mercy of a two-bit ruler with no help in sight? To say that John was offended by Christ, scandalized by him, would be to put it mildly. Well, just like Gaudete Sunday may offend our season of Advent in certain ways, because it doesn't come like we expect. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, offended John because he didn't come like John expected. Jesus stands out. He doesn't always fit our preconceived notions. He can shock our sense of what is proper. He can scandalize us. But what we find is that as Jesus leads John, as, as he leads us, we understand and believe that this is how it works in God's kingdom. That Jesus comes in ways that we might not expect, that, that we certainly don't control, that we might not ever choose for ourselves. I can't help but wonder if in, that in our lives, if we aren't offended by Jesus. And perhaps we wouldn't think so, or we wouldn't admit that outright, but in certain ways, I think it's somewhat inevitable. I mean, if someone like John, who was the one who was sent to, to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, if he could be offended by Jesus, well, then why wouldn't we? I've noticed something over the years. Perhaps you've noticed it as well. I've noticed what our society in general tries to, to do Every time, every year, this time of year, in the month or so leading up to Christmas, they pursue things endlessly. They, per, they pursue things to try and get in the holiday spirit, from the, the music on the radio to the celebrations to the shopping to the insistence that you can recapture that, that Christmas magic that you used to have, if only you just believe enough. Now, those fun things, those aren't wrong in any way, but... But so many people celebrate it all without Jesus. And when it's without Jesus, then it's just a, a season that's devoid of any meaning. It's like a secular advent for our society, a secular season of preparation. But the focus becomes all on what we do and what we have to do and what we need to do. As Christians, I don't think we're entirely immune to that kind of mentality either at times. The belief that so much in our lives is up to us. 
That we get out of this life only what we put into it. I mean, why do you think this world pushes so hard this time of year to achieve some kind of greater purpose or, or greater meaning? To pursue some semblance of hope and faith, even if they don't know what it is they're supposed to hope in or have faith in. I think in the end, we often as people try to overcome what we know is the everyday reality of our lives. But despite all of our efforts, nothing actually changes. Even in this most wonderful time of the year, as they say, the bills still haven't gone away. Marriages still aren't perfect. Families aren't always what we want them to be. People still don't treat us well. We don't always treat others well. Natural disasters like tornadoes still destroy. Peace and security is still robbed from us when when senseless tragedy, senseless violence happens, like we see in Oxford so close to us. Diseases are still out there in the world. Our loved ones still get sick. We still get sick. The ones we love who have gone are still gone. Over time, we realize that we are still getting older. People are still sinners. We are still sinners. And our life is not getting any easier. No matter the claims and expectations that this world loves to make, whether it's in sales or in science or in other religions, life is not always easy. Life is not always happy, not even always at Christmas. In fact, life is hard and it can be painful and we might even suffer. And when we begin to think in any way that it should be otherwise or that we deserve differently, well, then we might be the ones who end up offended and scandalized or let down. Like John, we may wonder to Jesus, well, what kind of Messiah would allow all this in my life? Do things have to be this way? Couldn't they be different? Or is this all I have to look forward to? We may even hear John's offended words in our own ears. As we ask, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, in a little less than two weeks, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is indeed the one. And he did come to us at Christmas. But he didn't come in a way that we would have expected or that we controlled in any way or that we would have even ever chosen for ourselves. His whole life from his birth to his death defies our expectations of what we would think a Messiah should look like or what a Messiah should do. Jesus was born into a common and poor family. He he also did not wear soft clothing or live a life of luxury. And he also did not come to coddle us where we were, but rather to call us to repent of our sins and return to God. He taught us that we should love and forgive others, even our enemies. He proclaimed that that those who look like the least in the world's eyes, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dying, the poor, people in prison, people like John, that these are actually the greatest in the kingdom of God. And he told those around him that that his journey on this earth as the Son of God would not follow a road to worldly glory, but instead would follow a road that looked like a shameful road to the cross. And that if anyone wanted to follow him, if anyone wanted to be his disciple, 
well, then it requires us to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. You see, Jesus does offend our sensibilities. Jesus does upset our sense of propriety. Jesus does scandalize us. Who wants a God like that, we may think? Who wants a life like that? But remember, Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Because Jesus knows as he speaks to John and as he speaks to us today that if we expect from him what this world would expect, what this world views as great and successful, well then we will be offended. But blessed are we when we are able to see by the eyes of faith, the faith that God has given us, what this world cannot see. That Jesus has not come to be the Savior that we think we want. But that Jesus has come to be the Savior that he knows we need. That he has come to bring us unexpected joy because he has died for our sin and he has given us the hope of eternal life. A life when our lives and this whole world will be perfectly restored. You see, when Jesus sent those messengers back to John and told them to repeat everything that they had seen and heard while they were with Jesus, that the blind are receiving their sight, that the lame are walking, that the lepers are being cleansed, that the deaf are hearing, that the dead are being raised up, and that the poor are receiving good news, what Jesus was doing was providing a window, a a glimpse for us into the future of what our restored lives with Christ will be in eternity. And Jesus was communicating to John that the one promised to fulfill all of the Old Testament promises, the one in whom the Lord's presence would be found, the one who would save his people, was now here. Our Old Testament reading today from Zephaniah describes this so beautifully. Zephaniah told the people of the Old Testament, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away all the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you. With his love. Jesus may not have fit any of John's preconceived notions, and, and John's life at the moment may not have seemed all that joyful. But Jesus gave John a reason to truly celebrate and rejoice. The Messiah had come with unexpected joy for his people. Because the Lord God was in their midst and he would show them by his life and then by his death and resurrection just how far he was willing to go in order to save them from themselves, from their sin, and from this fallen world that is far from perfect. And Jesus may not fit our preconceived notions. And our life at times may not seem all that joyful, but Jesus gives us today and every day a reason to truly celebrate and rejoice. The Messiah has come with unexpected joy for us as well. And what makes it so joyful is that he has not only come once in history, but that he continually comes to us again and again every single day with his forgiveness and his love and his power 
in his word and his sacraments here as we gather in church and every day, and that he will come again one day soon when all things will be made perfect and right. This Advent and Christmas season, we are blessed to remember once again that our joy is not found because we have successfully pursued it, but rather we have true joy because Jesus has delivered it to us. He has come to forgive us all of our sins, to show us the way to the Father, and to give us the hope of our future life with him. Jesus has come as not the Savior that we would have chosen for ourselves, but thanks be to God, Jesus has come as the Savior that he knew we needed. And that is the reason we rejoice, not only on this joyful Sunday, but every day, this Advent and Christmas season, and every day for our whole lives, every day for our eternal lives. Gaudete, rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.